You are listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. For more information about our church, please visit www.hopechurchipswich.net. Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you all this morning. We're going to be back in the book of James. If you have a Bible with you, you might want to turn to chapter 3. We're going to read that in a little while. James chapter 3 is all about speaking. It's all about the tongue. And I thought, as we're talking about talking this morning, there's no better way um, to start the message than to... um, See very practically what it means to not hold our tongue. We're going to watch a video now, and then then I'll join you. Nobody can do it like me. Nobody. Nobody can do it like me. Honestly. Nobody's stronger than me. Nobody has better toys than I do. There's nobody bigger or better at the military than I am. Nobody loves the Bible more than I do. Nobody builds walls better than me. Nobody's better to people with disabilities than me. Nobody's fighting for the veterans like I'm fighting for the veterans. There's nobody that's done so much for equality as I have. There's nobody more pro-Israel than I am. There's nobody more conservative than me. There is nobody that respects women more than I do. Nobody would be tougher on ISIS than Donald Trump. Nobody's ever had crowds like Trump has had. There's nobody that understands the horror of nuclear better than me. And nobody even understands it but me. It's called devaluation. The sale of the uranium that nobody knows what it means. I know what it means. Nobody knows more about trade than me. Nobody knows the game better than I do. Nobody in the history of this country has ever known so much about infrastructure as Donald Trump. I know the H-1B. I know the H-2B. Nobody knows it better than me. Nobody knows politicians better than I do. Nobody knows more about taxes than I do. Nobody knows more about debt than I do. Nobody knows the system better than me, which is why I alone can fix it. Okay. Whatever we think about uh, Donald Trump's politics or policies, One of the ways in which he stood out as a presidential candidate and then as the president of America is the way in which he handles his speech, not just um, verbally but also virtually as well with his use of Twitter and so on. But the reality is, whilst this is funny, like Donald Trump, many of us struggle to hold our speech. Many of us struggle to hold our tongue, whether it be in the area of gossip um, and speaking about others behind their backs, whether it be in the area of boasting, whether it be in the area of lying or swearing uh, when we're angry and frustrated, or maybe exaggerating the truth to somehow make us look better. Many of us, in fact, most of us, struggle to hold our tongue. And as Tim said last week, there's a temptation sometimes when we hear quite practical sermons to think, I wish so-and-so was here to hear this. Or, I'm glad he's here because he really needs to hear it. I want to say this is for all of us today. This is for all of us. No matter how spiritual we think we are, we could all control our speech much more effectively. So that's what we're going to be looking at today. We're going to be in James chapter 3, verses 1 to 12. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. This isn't about teaching in schools. This is about teaching in the church. For we stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. This is pretty sobering stuff, isn't it? For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile 
and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Let's pray, shall we? Father, please help us as we unpack this word today. I pray you'll help us to apply your word in our lives. We want to be those who have a living faith. We want to be those who don't just believe some things about you, but that this will really transform our lives, all that you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, there's three things that we can learn from this passage, three problems that James outlines for us about the tongue. Firstly, that it's powerful. Secondly, that it's revealing. And thirdly, that it's untamable. There will be some good news later on as well. But these are the three things that James unpacks for us. We speak on average 15,000 words per day. Looking out at some of you, I know that you smash that average to pieces, okay? Some of you maybe don't utter many words a day at all. We speak 15,000 words per day. Speaking to our friends, our colleagues, speaking to our children, speaking to our neighbors, our wives, our husbands. 15,000 words per day. And which of the sexes speak more? It's inconclusive. It's inconclusive. Just before you have any arguments over lunch, it's inconclusive. James tells us that the tongue is powerful. Just as with a rudder on a ship, the small instrument in our mouth is actually the most powerful part of our bodies. Someone once said that the pen is mightier than the sword. James believed this to be true. He's transformed his preaching into letter form. He believed in the power of the spoken word and the power of the written word. Tongues are powerful. They're like rudders on a ship. One of the largest um, warships in the world, the U.S. aircraft carrier, the Eisenhower, weighs over 91,000 tons. It has 6,000 people working on it, and it carries 100 aircraft. It's like a floating city. What's it steered by? A rudder that is less than a tenth of a percent of the size of the ship. So the rudder is disproportionate to the size of the vessel. The tongue is the same. Verse 5, we see the tongue is capable of great boasts, and yet it's less than half a percent of our body weight. Its effect on us and on our lives is disproportionate to its size. Something so small is able to determine so much of the course of our lives. We're able to tear down people with our tongues. We're able to be destructive with it in what we say, maybe even what we tweet and email and blog. We can be destructive with what we say. We can make promises that we regret making. Gary Lineker made a promise on national TV that if Leicester City won the league, he would present the show in his underpants. And credit to the guy, he went through with it in front of millions of people, presented the show half naked. We can say things that we regret saying because it's caused us embarrassment. David Beckham once said of his son, I want Brooklyn to be christened, but I don't know into what religion yet. Let that one sink in for a moment. Arnold Schwarzenegger once said, I am certain that gay marriage is something that should be between a man and a woman. <laughs> there are times when we wish we could go back and change something that we've said. Maybe something, something really painful sometimes 
we can think, I just wish I hadn't said that. Sometimes things that have just caused us to be a little bit embarrassed. What James is getting at here is not embarrassing things that have caused us to blush, but things that have caused damage, words that can cause damage. Consider, he tells us, what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. He's not making a passing comparison here. He's asking us to stop and think for a moment how forest fires start. He's asking us to think for a moment how these forest fires, which can destroy whole regions and can cause millions, sometimes billions of dollars of damage and can wipe out living things for miles around, he's asking us to think how those things start. It can be as simple as a carelessly discarded cigarette or an electrical unit that's not being serviced properly. These things can wipe out something sometimes unintentional, can wipe out whole regions James warns us the tongue is also a fire. We're always exercising this muscle, aren't we? I think it's probably for many of us the most exercised muscle in our bodies. We're, spark, we're creating sparks all of the time with what we say. It might be that for many of us we, we struggle with gossip and saying things about people that aren't quite necessary or maybe they're not very kind. It might be that we struggle with lying and actually talking about ourselves or a situation to try and paint ourselves in a better light. It might be that we speak harsh words to our husband or wife and we can't actually seem to keep a a rein on our tongue and we end up hurting people with what we say. It could be a flirtatious whisper with the opposite sex. It could be a critique of someone. It could be a critique of the church. Just a few careless words, seemingly harmless at the time, maybe even accidental, can cause marriages to break up, can cause friendships to break up, can cause relationship damage between siblings or friends. James says in verse 8, our tongues are full of poison. It's pretty damning, isn't it? We don't need to look far to find where the weapons of mass destruction really are. It's a sobering message. The tongue is powerful. And what's worse, James tells us that it's revealing. The tongue is a microphone to our heart. We can put on a smiley face, we can keep up a facade for a while, maybe we can uh, pretend that everything's fine. But ultimately, if we spend enough time with someone, we will get to grips with what's going on under the surface. Some of you here, you, you don't have close friendships because you don't want people to get close enough to see what's really going on inside. We can only keep things up for so long, but if we allow ourselves to get close enough to someone, they will see what's going on under the surface of our hearts because our tongue is a microphone to our heart. It says in verse 11, Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. What's James's point here? We speak in a way which is consistent with what's going on within. And in Luke chapter 6, Jesus reiterates this, or rather James is reiterating something that his brother Jesus had spoken. Jesus says this, a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. And it's easy for a time to put on a good front, isn't it? It's easy for a time to sing praises to God on a Sunday, maybe over coffee you can keep up the facade for a little while longer, but as soon as you get into the car, the tongue is unbridled. And you say, oh, it was, I didn't like that sermon today, it was rubbish. Or that guy really annoys me. That lady, the way she looked at me, I'm sure she's got a problem with me. 
How do I know we do this? Because I've done this. I do this from time to time. And we get all kind of passionate about God in worship and praising him for his creation. And then we tear down his own created beings. This is what it says here, doesn't it? Someone made in his image, his handiwork. So the heart reveals what's going on inside. Fresh and salt water, they never flow from the same spring. Fresh water comes from one source, salt water comes from another. You find a, a body of salt water, you trace it back, you go and see where the source is, it's more salt water, unsurprisingly. Same with fresh water. You go back to the source, it's more fresh water. What you end up with shows what you started with. A product is always consistent with its source. You don't, uh, a fig tree cannot bear olives, James says in verse 12. You, you wouldn't find bananas in a, in a potato field. This doesn't happen. What we say is an issue precisely because it reflects what is going on underneath. The kind of fruit in evidence indicates the kind of tree that is producing it. So this causes us to ask ourselves, where is my heart at? And this is what I want to ask us today. Is, are our hearts soaking in the grace of God? Are our hearts soaking in the grace of God? By that I mean the goodness and favour of God that has been shown to you in Jesus. If you know him, if you've placed your faith in Jesus, the grace and mercy that he's lavished upon you, the favour that you receive that you don't deserve, the fact that he's forgiven you of your sins, he's wiped out your debts, the fact that he's given you an eternal future that is secure, the fact that he's adopted you into his family, are our hearts soaking in those truths? Because if they're not, what will come from our mouths is unattractive things. Someone who is constantly critical has a heart that is not soaking in the grace of God. If we realize that God has shown us such incredible grace, if we're regularly celebrating it, we'll find that our hearts are full of grace for others. Now, there'll be times when we have to confront behavior. There's times when we have to say to someone, no, I don't think that was right, and maybe this isn't something you need to consider that God will help you to change in. Of course, it doesn't mean we let people walk all over us. It doesn't mean we don't grieve when someone's behaving in the wrong way. But when our hearts are soaking in God's grace for us, then we will have grace for others. If we're, not, if we're not, look at the other way around. If we're not rejoicing in God's abundant grace for us, if our hearts are not being affected by it, then our mouths, what are they full of? They're full of criticism, they're full of anger, they're full of bitterness, they're full of envy, they're full of self-pity. Self-pity, the fruit of self-pity is so ugly, isn't it? I know it from my own life. When I've pitied my situation and I've seen the ugly fruit that comes from it, if you gossip, if you lie, or if you bend the truth to make yourself look better, does that show that you're, you're soaking in God's acceptance of you? Or are you going looking for it elsewhere? Tearing down others in order to get their acceptance, uh, the acceptance of others, rather. If we're not soaking in God's grace, then we will go looking for acceptance elsewhere. But when we realize the grace of God, we realize that there's no higher up that we can go in the pecking order because we're already seated with Christ. So we don't need to tear other people down to try and get higher up the pecking order. We don't have to try and uh, tear other people down to make ourselves look better because in Jesus now, we're accepted before the one who really matters. So we need to allow our hearts to soak in the grace of God. Doug Douglas Moo, in his commentary on James, he says this, A person who is not right with God and walking daily in God's presence cannot consistently speak pure and helpful words. The tongue is revealing. The tongue reveals what's going on 
inside. This gives us a clue as to the solution. We're going to look at that a little later on. The tongue is powerful. We've seen already it's revealing. And thirdly, it's untamable. It already sounds really serious. And now James says we cannot tame the tongue, even though we can tame all kinds of animals. Verse 8, we cannot tame the tongue. We've trained elephants to play football. We've trained parrots to sing karaoke. We've trained dogs to rescue people from earthquakes. People keep uh, snakes as pets that grow up to 10 feet long, which is crazy if you ask me. But we cannot tame this small organ in our mouths. We cannot keep it under wraps. We can do all of this, but we cannot fully tame our tongues. Not even the most powerful people in the world, as we've seen, even those that have a team of advisors. It's impossible for each one of us. We're no better. It's impossible for each one of us to fully tame our tongues. Now, what James is, is, is not doing here, he's not saying, here's seven easy steps now to flawless speech. He's not saying, just follow these seven things and you'll do it. Why? Because as we've already heard, the tongue reveals what's going on in the heart. And this side of eternity, none of us are going to have a heart that has fully um, sanctified motivations. We're always going to have some things that are broken within us this side of eternity before we come to be with Jesus. There's going to be things within us that need changing. There's always going to be uh, things in our lives that we're, uh, moments in our lives where we're not remembering the grace of God, but we're not uh, soaking in it. And therefore, our tongues, this side of eternity, will never be fully tamed. James is calling his listeners to see these three sobering facts the tongue is powerful, it's revealing, and it's untamable. Now, I don't know if you've noticed this as we've been going through this book together, but James is kind of not very organized in the way he writes. He just kind of blurts out a lot of things on a page. It's great, it's full of wisdom but it's not very ordered and logical. When you read the Apostle Paul, he's very, very logical. He kind of takes you through an argument, and then there's the punch. And, you know, James is not worried so much about the form here. He's concerned more about the force of it, that we actually understand here that the tongue is dangerous. We cannot totally tame it. Like a horse that refuses to be broken in, it can be reined in a bit, but not fully tamed. It might walk the way we want it to most of the time, but ultimately it might rear somewhere down the path and send us flying. That's what our tongues are like, like a horse that refuses to be broken in. Now we see in chapter 1 of James and verse 26 that it can be bridled. How is that possible? Well, I want to suggest that the solutions are actually to be found in the problems that James has outlined. Firstly, as we're uh, reminded of the power of the tongue, we will actually be more careful with how we use it. Now, I'm, I've said it before several times, I'm rubbish at DIY. And over Christmas, uh, I invited my friend Len, who's one of the other pastors here, to come and help me put a TV bracket up on the wall. Now, when I say help me, I mean that Len did it and I watched, okay? <laughs> Len did it, I, I, I watched and I hoovered up afterwards. Now, there were times as he was doing it where he said, can you pass me the drill, please? Now, I know the damage that I've done with a drill before. There's walls in our house which will show you that I should not be let loose with a drill. Okay, so if we ever come to, uh, well, I'm sure we will, when we come to God providing for us uh, a building fit for our growing needs, you don't want to put a drill in my hands, okay? I'm just saying that right now. I'm happy to kind of welcome people and let everyone else come in and do the work. You don't want me to hold a drill. But as Len was saying, pass me the drill, I was making sure, knowing how dangerous a drill can be, I was extra careful in passing it up to him. I made sure it switched off at the plug, passed it up to him as he's on a ladder, because I knew how powerful it was. And it's actually as we remind ourselves of the power of the tongue that we will handle it with more care. 
This is what James is getting at when he says, uh, the chapter before, he says, be, uh, sorry, rather in chapter one, he says, be quick to listen and slow to speak. I wonder how many of us have got that the other way around, that we're quick to speak, that we're quick to throw in our opinion, that we're quick to say, yeah, 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 I hear what you're saying, but hear what I have to say. I know that that can be the case for me sometimes. Why don't we make it our prayer this week? God, help me to be quick to listen, eager to listen, and slow to speak. I've been praying that the last few days. I've known God's help in that. So I said, God, in this situation I'm going into, help me to be eager to listen, and not quick to throw in my opinion, as is so often my tendency. This will be something that maybe some people would want to receive prayer for later on. Knowing the tongue is a powerful instrument, causes us to be more measured in the way we speak. And I found this tool helpful when tempted to gossip or when tempted to lie or to exaggerate or to slander someone. This tool, this uh, acrostic really, uh, called Think. Let's have a look on the screen. So when we're tempted to gossip, when we're tempted to say something harsh about someone, think about what you're going to say. Is it true? Is it true? Are you sharing the facts? Is it helpful? Is me sharing this, is me saying this actually going to be helpful for this person? Is it inspiring? Is it necessary? Is it kind? I find that a helpful little tool to think about what I'm saying. Secondly, knowing that the tongue is revealing of our hearts, let's be considering the state of our hearts. I've already alluded to this. Let's be allowing our hearts to soak in the goodness and grace of God. The alternative is to allow it to sink into self-pity, into envy, low self-esteem, frustration. I know people in this church who are caught up in a cycle of that, in a cycle of feeling negative about things, feeling like you've had a bad deal in life, feeling like really God hasn't been good to you, and therefore you're caught up in negativity, and it actually manifests it in the way you speak, in the way you think, in the way others think. We need to allow the grace of God to flood our hearts, that we actually see what he's done for us is absolutely incredible that we have far more than we deserve, that what we deserve is separation from him, but what he's given us is adoption, that he's showing us his favor and mercy. Even when we go through difficulties, we've got so much to be thankful for. So we actually have to be intentional about what we're exposing our hearts to. This is something that maybe people want to get prayer for later on. If you know that you've been consumed with negativity and despair, then it's likely that what you are speaking or typing is not really going to be healthy. It's not going to be glorifying to Jesus. It's not going to be edifying others. It's not going to be building people up. In 1 Peter chapter 2, it's probably the page after where you are in your Bible right now. Peter writes this, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. What are you drinking from? Are you, have you tasted and seen that the Lord is good? Do you see it each and every day in your life, that he is good? Are you seeing that he has been so ridiculously good to you? Because if you're drinking from that, then what you're speaking will reflect it. What you're speaking will actually show that you are a grateful person. But if you're not, then what's going to come out is not going to be attractive. 
Now, Morris, who we heard from a couple of weeks ago, one of the other pastors on the team with me here, he often laments certain TV shows, and it kind of comes, becomes a bit funny, like it feels like it's Morris's hobby horse. But he's not being legalistic when, he, when he's urging us not to watch certain things. He's saying, what are you drinking from? You can watch those things if you want, but are you being discerning about what you're filling your minds and hearts with? Are you, are you drinking from something that's going to actually cause you to be healthy within? What are our hearts meditating on? Surely this will have an effect on our speech. So when we realize that the tongue is powerful, we'll take great care in our words, we'll be slow to speak, quick to listen. When we realize that what we say is revealing of our hearts, we'll assess our hearts, we'll allow our hearts to marinate in God's goodness. And when we realize that we can't tame it fully, when we realize that actually even though we can put things in place and we can't tame it fully, it will cause us to throw ourselves on God and say, God, I need your help. God has us, he wants us to be in a place where we're humble before him, saying, I can't do this without you, God. He wants us to be in that place. Some of us here are quite fiercely independent. Maybe you've had to learn to be that way because of circumstances in your life. God actually wants you to be in the place where you're, in, you're, you're completely dependent on him. He wants you to come to a place where you say, God, I cannot do this without you. Holy Spirit, come and help me. And it causes us to throw ourselves on his grace again, saying, you know, without your mercy and grace, where would I be? This is where he wants us. There was only one man who ever fully tamed his tongue. Only one man who was never left red-faced at something he said. There was one man who never said, I'm really sorry that I said it like that. I'm just going through a tough time at the moment. If you knew what I was going through, you'd understand. He never said that, even though he went through trials much greater than you and I. There was one man who never got it wrong with his speech. His name is Jesus. He never put it wrong in life at all. Even though tempted in every way like you and I are, he never sinned. His name is Jesus. He's the one who can forgive you where you've got it wrong. He can forgive me where I've got it wrong. It says in 1 John chapter 2, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. We can be forgiven of the destruction that we've caused with our tongues. We can be forgiven of the pain and the hurt that we've caused. Maybe some today you just feel like, oh, I said those things and I don't think I could ever forgive myself, let alone God forgive me. Well, know today that you have an advocate before the Father, Jesus Christ. How can you be forgiven? Well, Jesus took your place on the cross. You deserve punishment and separation from God. That's what you deserve for your sin. But Jesus took our place. He stepped in. He died on the cross in our place. And what do we get? We get the righteous record of Jesus accredited to us. It means we get perfect access to God. We come to God in the way that Jesus can come to God because we've been given his righteousness. That's good news this morning. Jesus Christ, the perfect one, took our sin. And we see later on in 1 Peter chapter 2, he committed no sin Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. 
For you were straying like sheep, but you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. We've all strayed away. We've all gone our own way. We've all said to God, I hear what you're saying, God, but I think I can do it better. We've all gone that way, strayed. But Jesus Christ was the sacrificial lamb in our place. And now through faith in him, we have, we have been returned to the shepherd and overseer of our souls. And we're going to celebrate that together as we take communion in a moment. We can take the juice and the bread and remember the blood of Jesus poured out for us. That's what the juice symbolizes. And the, as we eat the bread, we're remembering his body broken for us. We're remembering the sacrifice that he made for us so that we could be forgiven. And there's some here this morning who are maybe for the first time in church and you just want to know what to do next. You've heard this message and you think, okay, where do I go from here? Well, I'm going to pray in a moment. And maybe you'd like to pray along in your mind, in your heart with me. And it might be that as we get up to go and get the bread and the juice, that you say, in faith, I'm going to do it as well. I'm going to, I believe that this is for me. I believe that Jesus did this for me. And you're going to need to have some help with getting started as a Christian. We'd love to talk with you and pray with you. We'll talk to you about baptism, which is the next step for you if you make that commitment. Should we stand together now? I'd love to pray for each one of us. The band are going to come back up and we'll sing in response in a moment. Father God, we thank you that you, through sending your son Jesus, have returned us to the shepherd and overseer of our souls. Lord, each one of us have like sheep strayed away. Each one of us have got things wrong. And I thank you, Father, that you sent your son to take our place, to take the blame for all that we've done wrong. We can be completely forgiven. And I thank you, Father, that you can help us in this area of the tongue. Lord, you can help us. Lord, I pray that you will now. I pray that you'll come and empower us to be those who use our tongue for your glory and for the good of others. That we wouldn't tear people down, that we wouldn't try to get people to think better of us by lying or exaggerating, that we would be truthful in what we say because we know that you've accepted us. We know that your opinion is the one that matters. And in Jesus now, we're fully accepted and fully loved. And I pray, Father, that this will... I pray that the force of this message from James will stick in our hearts. I pray that it wouldn't be a flash-in-the-pan thing, but that as a community of people, we would be those who shine in this town and in the surrounding towns that we're from with the use of our tongue, that we would stand out. I pray you'd empower us for that work, Holy Spirit. I pray for anyone here who doesn't yet know you. I pray right now you'd reveal yourself to them, that you would just uh, overwhelm them with your love. And if you're here this morning and you haven't given your life to Jesus, you haven't said, Jesus, you're Lord. And I accept that you died in my place. I accept this free gift. Then why don't you say that to him now? Jesus, your Lord, I receive this gift of salvation that you've offered to me. I live for you now. Thank you that I am forgiven. Thank you that I am free. When you pray those things now as we sing, and if you... If you've prayed those things, come and speak to me or to Tim who's been hosting the meeting or to someone that you've come with and we'd love to pray with you. Thank you for listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. 
Please feel free to make a copy of this content, but please do not edit the content in any way.